You are listening to The Winning Mind Podcast. I am Letitia D'Souza. I am a mindset coach and business strategist who has helped more than 1,200 people change their lives, their relationships, their businesses, and just win in life. There's a myriad of reasons why we're not winning in life. Most people don't really play to win. They play not to lose. And what winning really means is becoming a better version of yourself each and every day. We can do this together. Hey, beautiful people I love. I hope you guys are doing well. I am doing well. I feel like time went up and, you know, it it feels symbolic to me, like my life is accelerated, right? And I'm like, man, yeah, things really feel like they're happening at an accelerated pace. And I said this in another podcast, but that's okay because I repeat myself. (laughs) We learn through repetition, right? But one of the things that happens when you are making changes is that your arousal and your stress responses, they are on high alert. Like anytime you feel something that, you know, just feels unfamiliar, your arousal or your stress responses, they get alerted. And my body has been aroused and my stress response is usually freeze. Like I I will just stop, right? I just, I just, I just stop altogether. And so just managing those responses and managing what felt or what sometimes feel feels like the dysregulation of my nervous system is really, really, really important. And so I know that a lot of people paint like rosy pictures of how things go all the time. It's just not always a pretty picture. You know, like I have to learn how to sit with uncomfortable emotions, how to give myself many breaks. This is why I'm always saying it's really important to be in your being. It's really important to schedule your joy. It's really important to have you as your top priority because I need an inner reservoir, not just me. You need an inner reservoir of strength, of peace, of resilience, just like whatever your little your little mix is. You need that. And the only way to give that to yourself is to continually do things that give you that and and, and just allow that to, to build up. So like my stomach, my stomach has been bothering me. And I know that my stomach has been bothering me simply just just because I've been feeling the knot in my stomach of all of the things that are happening, right? And it's just it's just simply a stress response. And so I'm just mindful of that. And all of those things are part and parcel of moving forward. Like they they really are part and parcel of moving forward. And I understand that. But I think sometimes when you experience that, when you experience frustration and overwhelm and all of those things, you just stop or you just you just don't want to move forward. And sometimes overwhelm, your brain is literally expanding its capacity or your life is expanding. And the natural tendency is to shut down, to go in protective mode because it feels as if you can't handle it. But you can. You you can handle it. And I want you to know that whatever is on your plate, that you can handle it, that you don't have to retreat and shrink back from it. You can actually forge ahead and you can meet ahead on and you can trust that God is with you 
and that God has your back, right? Some people say life. I don't know who life is, but I, I can't tell you who God is. So just, you know, keep moving forward. One, one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, and just keep moving forward. That's the most important thing because when you stop yourself, you look up and you lose months and you lose years, then you try to move forward again, but you end up having to start over because it's not like you're picking up where you left off because usually so much time has lapsed And then you're just like, dang, I set out to do this seven years ago, and here I am just now getting to it. It happens, but it's not because it has to, right? So my trauma studies program, I put that off until August because I was just like, listen, I'm a superwoman, but I'm not superwoman, and I'm not going to have all of these things on my plate, and I can't show up in a way that is excellent. So I still am studying and going deeper into trauma studies, but my certificate program is off till August. Anyway, so I've been reading the book, What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And, you know, it made me think about something that somebody said. I don't know who said it or where I heard it. So if it's you and I'm not giving credit to you, sorry. I just, it just slipped my mind. But they said, don't judge my choices until you understand my reasons. I'm going to say that again. Don't judge my choices until you understand my reasons. And if the truth be told, we are all guilty of judging other people's choices without understanding their reasons. And we equally are judged for our choices and people don't understand our reasons because most of us just make snap judgments and form conclusions. We, we think that we have the intel on what's going on with other people. And we make snap judgments and form conclusions, but we certainly don't like it when that happens to us. So I think that we can all stand to be more compassionate and trying to understand people's choices. You don't even have to agree with people's choices because it's, it's them and it's, and it's their choices and their consequences, right? But trying to understand why people do something, I think it lends itself to more compassion. It gets us out of the the, the seat of the judge, if you will, in the jury. And we we can just we can just look at people through different lenses. And the book, you know, I, I learned from looking through the lenses of um, understanding trauma that is really important to say, not what's wrong with you. But what happened to you? And so I'm always incredibly interested in people's stories because when I can get the backstory, I can see how the little boy or the little girl has shaped the man or the woman that is sitting in front of me. And I can approach things in a different way. I can approach things in a gentler way and in a way where I'm not trying to, where I'm not re-traumatizing and re-triggering the little boy or girl in a way that is harmful, right? So that that becomes really important. But they took it a step further and they said, not only what happened to you, but what didn't happen for you. Because a lot of times when we think of trauma, we think about somebody being abused or beaten or something that is just so extreme. No, no, because we, we all deal with things very differently, right? So it's not necessarily that. It could have been, one traumatic event that was deeply traumatic for somebody, or it could have been something that happened repeatedly over time that was deeply, but you can't compare your pain to mine and vice versa. And sometimes we do that. Oh, 
Well, if you think that was bad, let me tell you. And so, and so we we kind of compare pain. There is no comparison to pain because we all deal with pain differently. But when we think about what happened to you, versus, I mean, I'm sorry, in addition to what happened to you, what didn't happen for you? The what didn't happen for you part is important because it helps us manage expectations. If something didn't happen for someone, right? Let's just say they were neglected. They came up in a, I can speak about my own childhood. In, in my childhood, in my childhood home, my family was not affectionate. Like, I lived with my mom, my grandma, my extended family. You could walk in the door. Somebody could walk in the door and nobody acknowledged that they came in the door. Nobody said hi, good morning. It was it was just a normal thing. And that's that's the environment that I grew up in. So I can remember dating this guy and we were sitting in the living room and my aunt came to the front. She didn't say anything. I didn't say anything to her. And then she went back in the back of the house. And he said, you are so rude. And I was just like, what do you mean? He said, you didn't even introduce me to her. And I was so taken aback because in my household, that was normal, right? Not acknowledging the person who came in the room or who came in the house. So I was just operating in the normalcy of my household. And he was so offended. Like he told me that he wasn't coming back to my house. Hospitality wasn't a thing. He asked me to get him some water. And I was just like, look, I don't know what you think this is. Now, I'm not that way now, but I'm just telling y'all it was rough. So coming from an environment that wasn't affectionate, I did not like people close to me. (laughs) I always laugh at um, one of my clients because she said I push her out of the way when she gets close to me and in my space. And it might just be like a knee-jerk reaction, but I don't do it purposely now. Like now, I'm affectionate. You can hug me. I'm okay with that. But I had to learn that. I had to grow into that. But what didn't happen for me I wasn't hugged a lot. Like we just, my family wasn't affectionate, so that didn't feel normal. And when you think about what didn't happen for you, this or other people, this can help you manage your expectations because if it didn't happen for them and they didn't get it somewhere along in life and they are operating at a deficit and you have an expectation of this from them, it's just like, what do they say trying to get, um, uh, I can't remember the, the analogy, but you are expecting something that they don't even know that they're supposed to be giving you because we're just like, well, you know what? People should have a clue. Listen, I promise y'all, I deal with real live adults on a regular basis and they are excelling in business and getting to the bag and doing all of the things. And then there are also very childlike places in them where there is arrested development, where their their emotional development has been arrested, or their cognitive function is arrested or, or stunted because of something that did not happen for them. So we can look at people that are full grown in one way, and they can be very childlike in other ways. And if we don't understand what happened to them or what didn't happen for them, and if we aren't willing to go the extra mile, a lot of times we are um, re-traumatizing people or we are, you know, shaming people or we are expecting something from people that they 
don't have the capacity to give. And then, you know, you go through this, if people wanted to, they would, and all of these other things. And that's how we got into this place of cancel culture. And we've just lost compassion for humanity. Now, I'm not making excuses. I am I am trying to help you understand why you are or why the people in your life may be a certain way. Now, does that mean that people cannot choose to change? It absolutely does not mean that people can't choose to change. Regardless of what happens to us, the one thing that happens is that, first of all, let, let me let me let me back up and say this. Trauma changes the whole makeup of the brain. Like, let's just say, y'all see, I've been studying. Let's just say if you came up in a chaotic household where maybe there was yelling and screaming or physical abuse, and just the environment that you lived in was very chaotic and, and very unpredictable, that can change the whole makeup of your brain and you formed a conclusion about the world very early on that you needed to be the placator, you needed to be the person who can like quell all of the, the anger and things around you. Maybe you become the comedian or maybe you become the people pleaser because you feel like it's your responsibility to make people around you feel better because that's what you learned in your, in your childhood. Do you see what I mean? It can change the, the makeup of the brain but it can also, you remember, you form these conclusions through the lenses of a child, and it can have you going through the world like, I don't belong. I don't belong. The world is not safe. People can't be trusted. And you know what happens is that we often make vows when we've been hurt or when we've been traumatized. And a lot of times we don't realize that you know what a vow is? I can tell you what. This will never happen again. I will never do this. And we make those vows. And oftentimes we make those vows before we really understand what it is that we are doing. And it shapes our whole worldview and it shapes how we interact and how we show up in the world. Now, if all of that is going on in the brain of somebody that you are interacting with, these are the people that you are in business relationships with. These are the people that you are in bed with, right? And just like the iceberg, there's so much more beyond, beneath what it is that you actually see. And if you want to improve your relationships and improving your ability to relate to other people, it's going to start with some understanding. But what I was saying is the brain is malleable. Here's how I'm going to the place where regardless of what happened to you, you can choose to change. The brain is malleable. What happens is connection is key. Connection is key. And you know what happens with all, oftentimes with trauma is that we isolate. You can be with people and still isolate because you can go into the world within yourself because that's the only place you feel safe. Ask me how I know, right? So you can be present and absent. So I'm not even necessarily talking about just because somebody is physically with you, they can be absent, they can disassociate, they can be shut down, they can be withdrawn into themselves. But real presence and connection is going to be key because the way to change the brain is through presence, through connection, through consistency, and over time, and patience, and over time, exposure 
to connection, consistency, and experiences over time sends a new message that this experience is safe or this person is safe. Somebody must have loved something I texted there, okay? Because I hear this experience is safe. This person is safe. All of that takes patience and it takes consistency over time. And so I can remember Marianne Williamson saying, if anything is missing in your relationships, it's because you haven't given it. And now that makes so much more sense. So let's let me put this in practical terms. Where you have an expectation from somebody and they aren't able to meet that, can you not give that to that person and give it to them repeatedly and consistency? And now you pour, you are pouring into them the thing that they did not get. And the reason why it takes patience is because. When people are exposed to something new and unfamiliar, even if it's good, it is going to be triggering. And so I said, we don't want to trigger people in a way that re-traumatizes them, but you will trigger people when you are giving them something the opposite of what it is that has been their experience and what it is that has shaped their worldview. So patience comes into play because what happens when we're triggered? The arousal and the stress responses come up and now you're hypervigilant because something has triggered you, even if it's something good. So you have the ability, not the responsibility, the ability. You can choose to or you can choose not to. Pour into this person, pour into these people the things that you see as deficits or the things that you see as weaknesses or the things that you see as shortcomings, right? Because it is an effort and futility to expect something from a person in an area of their weakness. You are going to continually let yourself down. But if you want to see a person get stronger in something, you can pour the thing into them that will help them do that. If you find somebody and they, I'm just going to going back to affectionate, right? That closeness feels foreign to them. Well, okay. Maybe you start giving them hugs. Maybe you start being more affectionate. And, and you do this to the extent that they are comfortable and you do that over time. And now they start to relax into, okay, this person is safe. Maybe touch wasn't safe for them. Maybe touch equated abuse. Maybe they were physically abused or sexually abused. Here's the thing, y'all. We don't learn how to pack all of this stuff up into these pretty packages. And nobody really knows what lies beneath. And I'm just trying to help you help people. Help people help you because a lot of us, as the saying goes, live lives of quiet desperation. We long for connection and relationship, but we push people away because it doesn't feel safe, right? We, we long to be seen for somebody to really see us in a real way. And then when people see us, we hide because we feel shame about what it is that they see. So I'm trying to help you show up in your relationships in a better way. And you give you, you're, you're going to reap what you sow. So you're sowing the things into your relationships that you desire to see, and you're planting those seeds, and those seeds then return to you. You will reap what you sow, even if you don't reap where it is that you sow. But why is this so important? Because we have these demands that we make of people, 
and people can't meet the demands. And we have these expectations and people can't live up to the expectation. And oftentimes, it makes people feel a sense of shame that they can't, and they won't articulate that. Sometimes they just don't say anything. Sometimes they just shut down. And then you're upset because they haven't communicated and and they just shut down because shame causes them to shut down. That is their response to being stressed or aroused. Do you see, do you see what I mean? So the the selfishness in us can only see through our lenses and we cannot see from the perspective of the other person because sometimes we desire so much to be right. We desire so much to have what it is that we want and even if it's at somebody else's expense and we can choose to change. We can choose to change by creating new experiences and exposure for other people. We can also, also change by being exposed in a positive way to the things that we didn't get when we were growing up. And that's why we're all helpers to one another, one to another, because connection is really going to be key. How did I go from coming up in an environment that wasn't affectionate to being somebody who was affectionate and willing to give hugs and all of those things because I was exposed to people who were affectionate. Now, let me tell you, you know, knock if you buck. Listen, there were times when people, I can remember this lady, I when I was in church, let me tell y'all, every time they would say, turn to your neighbor and say anything, I used to be like, I was in my purse. I was in my bag before people was in their bags, okay? I was in my purse because it made me uncomfortable. Don't tell me to go hug five people. Man, you got me twisted. I'm not touching these people. It, it, it made me so uncomfortable. One time I was at the front of the church. I don't know if I was up there for prayer or something, but this lady, she was really sweet, but she used to wear this sting perfume. She came up behind me and grabbed me. Man, I know I got the spirit of God in me because I wanted to flip her ass over like WWE. Like everything in me was just like absolutely not because touch in that way from strangers felt really foreign to me. She was just being affectionate, but it's like, ma'am, uh-uh, don't do that. I had to grow into a comfort level of allowing people to hug me and allowing people to be up on me so much so that one of my friends, we've been friends since third grade. We were uh, roommates at our, our camps in seventh and eighth grade. We were college roommates. And I remember we were, I think we were sitting at a bar and she said, she's not, she's not a hugger. She said, when did you get so touchy-feely? I said, huh? She said, when, when, what happened? Like, when, when did you get like this? You never used to be like this. You never used to be so just nurturing and, and touchy-feely. Like, she's just looking like, why, why did I get the memo? I didn't even recognize this because it happened to consistent exposure over time that felt safe. Not the lady who bum-rushed me from the back in church, but I'm saying consistent exposure over time and then affection felt normal. Now, it might not be affection. It might be communication. So in my house, not only did people not speak to each other, when they did speak to each other, it wasn't the, the nicest way, in the, in the nicest way. I can remember my uncle who, um, he was my grandmother's youngest son. He was dealing with some mental 
health challenges. I, I think he's a prime example of arrested development because at almost 60, he is like the exact same person that he was then. Anyway, he would do these things, I think, because he needed attention or he needed to be seen. One time he busted the basement window, right? Uh, and and the, this time, though, he was sitting in the living room and he was saying that he was going to kill himself. Well, my aunt was like, well, if you're going to kill yourself, go in the basement or go in the back because you're going to mess up the damn furniture if you're going to kill yourself. And I was like, what? Like, who says that? But that's the level of just like disdain and disrespect and just toxicity and dysfunction that was in my childhood household. So it was nothing for people to be speaking aggressively and cussing people out when they did speak. So communication, softness, gentleness, respect, tonality, what, what, where was that coming from? I had to learn that, right? I had to, when I was in fifth grade, the bus driver, a substitute driver, he took me to the wrong stop and he let me off or he tried to. Fifth grade me, I cussed him out. I, I cussed him out. Where did I get that aggressive language from? From my grandmother. You big balloon belly motherfucker. That, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying to the bus driver. They rolled me up and said I was the ringleader. See, my, my, I was standing up for the kids, but my leadership skills, you know, they, they had to be developed in a way and my language had to be redeveloped in a way so that, uh, you know. But where did I get that from? Where did I get that aggressive language from? From my home. Y'all gonna punish me for perpetuating what, what y'all put into me, right? But my whole point, I used to, when I didn't bother people, but when people bother me, I will pop off. I'm going for the jugular. My words will slice through somebody like a jinsu. And, and I know how to use my words, not just my vocabulary, but my big cuss words. I know how to do it to just render somebody all. If I couldn't hurt you physically, I could cut you with my words. I had to learn another way of being. How? Through exposure to something else consistently over time. And of course, through my guy, God. Jesus, through my guy, God. But what I'm saying is you can choose to change. You can come back from anything, regardless of what shapes you and how your experience has shaped you in life. The person that you are right now, you can shrug your shoulders and just say, this is who I am. You can certainly do that, right? But a lot of times that's just a cop out because you don't know where to begin to change. You don't know what to do. But a lot of this is, this is not just who you are. This is who you've become as a result of trauma, neglect, abandonment, and, and many of those things, right? And while nobody knows your story, everybody does have their own story. So while you want to be seen, felt, and you want compassionate to be, compassion to be extended towards you, you can learn to extend that towards other people as well. And we can all learn to be in a place where we're more mindful and not judging people's choices when we don't understand their reasons. Because a lot of times when people's choices trigger us, it's because they are doing something or triggering a part of us that we are still healing from, right? They're triggering a part of us. And so a lot of times the judgment that we're releasing is actually judgment against ourselves, judgment for something that we didn't do and we felt like we should have done. You know, 
I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I was just like, people can tell me a gazillion things, and I'm not triggered by it because your choices don't trigger me. If ever I feel particularly triggered about something, I'm wondering, what is it in me that is responding to this? Because what you're telling me really has nothing to do with me. So a lot of times the advice that we're giving, the judgment that we're giving, is we're we're not really giving it to the person, we're really giving it to ourselves, right? So just something to consider. Don't judge other people's choices, and I know this is hard, until you understand their reasons. And you, regardless of where your choices have gotten you, you don't have to be a victim of your choices. You can gain understanding of why you are the way you are and why you do the things that you do. But you can also take the same energy in being a victim and suffering from the trauma and you can pimp your pain and make your pain your platform. You can bounce back from anything. I love each and every one of you. Have a beautiful rest of the day.